rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of light, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 182 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we are going to see more big changes to the Adventures of Superboy television show, which was produced by the Saul Kinds from 1988 until 1992, and I am entering into the third season of the show, pretty much past the halfway point about an episode ago, and this week I'll be covering a two-part episode The Bride of Bizarro, Parts 1 and 2. But before I get into uh, my feedback and uh, the discussion of uh, tonight's episodes, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, third season. The third season is, just from looking at the episode list on IMDb, this is probably my favorite season of the show. This is the show that in which I started watching the series, and this is the season that I have the most memories of, and definitely the most... uh, episode that I've recorded off uh, television. So I am really looking forward to getting into this season. It's been a long time coming. I've waded through season one and familiarized myself with Gerard Christopher's season two portrayal. But really, this is the show that I remember. The third season moved away from the Schuster campus, and most of our setting was in the Bureau for Extranormal Matters Basically, if it were basically, this kind of becomes the "quote unquote" daily planet, the workplace of the next two seasons. This is the first time we learn where the hell the, the series is taking place. I wonder if I actually slipped it into the uh, my coverage of the first two seasons. But this episode, we finally get a name, Capital City, Florida, and that will stick for the remaining two seasons. The Bureau is basically a government agency which investigates paranormal activity and aliens, which, and this actually predates the X-Files, so it didn't copy that. But this is an interesting place to put Superboy in. If you're not going to put him in a newspaper, this is probably the next best place to put someone like Clark Kent, where he's going to see a lot of stuff that's going to require his attention as Superboy. So I really like the the Bureau as... uh, Clark's workplace. You're going to find out in the first episode that it's pretty much an internship, but they do spend more time there than I would imagine ordinary interns. I remember uh, when I did my internships in college, one or two days a week, this seems to be more like full-time jobs for them. Like I said, we're going to move completely away from the Schuster campus. Everything in this show is going to be centered around the Bureau for the next two seasons. So, with the change in settings comes more changes in characters. Andy McAllister, gone. He'll make one appearance in the episode special effects down the line, and that will explain where he went while Clark and Lana went to the Bureau. The new supporting cast is uh, two people instead of just one. Going to be uh, Clark and Lana's co-worker at the Bureau, Matt Ritter, who is played by Peter J. Fernandez. He is uh, described in this episode as 
one of the Bureau's better field agents, and Bureau Chief C. Dennis Jackson. And the Bureau Chief C. Dennis Jackson was portrayed by Robert Levine. He's the Bureau Chief. He's the boss. He's the the Perry White of the group. I'm not going to call Matt Ritter or Jimmy Olsen, but I think replacing the one character with two is good because now you have two sets of characters from two separate places. You have the Clark and Lana dynamic, and you have Matt and Jackson. So you have two sets of characters that can play off of each other, and obviously they can mix and match that too as they go forward, and they will. But uh, now if you send off two characters to do one thing, you still have two of your characters that can do something else. The first two seasons seem to struggle with that a little bit, especially in the first season where it was the Clark and TJ show, where Lana, you know, they just seem to kind of generate excuses to keep Lana in the story. And in the second season, Andy McAllister was basically comic relief. So it is nice to have that fourth character to uh, be able to uh, fill out the cast. Superman's uh, main cast was always four characters. Clark Kent, Superman, Lois Lane, Perry White, Jimmy Olsen. Now we've got four characters here. Clark Kent, Superboy, Lana Lang, Matt Ritter, and C. Dennis Jackson. It works out better than just the than just the trio. Now there, I mean, there are places where trios work, obviously, the original Star Trek, but they were always played as a trio. Occasionally, you would see one or two go off on their own, but not usually. So the tone of the series darker, more a little more interesting stories. The overall look of the series took on some film noir characteristics, a lot like season one of the Adventures of Superman. Journalists of the time suggested that the darker look was largely due to the uh, success of Tim Burton's Batman from a year earlier. Maybe, maybe not. Gerard Christopher and Julia Pistor became producers, and more mature, there were more mature themes developed. One memorable two-parter that we're going to discuss down the line, Rebirth, deals with uh, Superboy confronting the possibility that he may have actually killed someone and gives up his identity and guilt. That's going to be a great two-parter that I, I'm looking forward to discussing. There's Carnival, which I don't really remember very well, but it has a satanic individual. Mindscape uh, deals with some of Superboy's fears where, for the most part, Superboy is attacked by a Black Mercy, and even though it's not called that or even looks like it, but that's basically what it does. And and two two-parters that deal with parallel universes and showing different past Superboy's lives might have taken. The road's not taken, a road to hell. Great episodes that... I'm looking forward to covering when I get to them, and I'm going to try to do something special for a couple of these episodes. I've got something in mind that I don't want to reveal just yet. So that's pretty much uh, my intro to uh, Season 3. Now, with that out of the way, I'm going to get into some feedback here. I have two emails this week, the first of which is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, Episode 171, and Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I enjoyed this episode, mainly for your discussion of Bizarro. A good episode for this letter to appear, being that I'm doing a Bizarro two-parter. Nightmare Island was a serviceable episode, but not a standout. Like you, I wondered how that rickety boat made it to the desert island. It would be close enough to their starting point that there would have been some boat traffic nearby, and they'd have been able to signal for help from passersby. I also wondered how the alien had remained undiscovered for 200 years. I will try to no-prize the fact that Superboy's costume lost its instructability by suggesting the Ray that took out Superboy's powers also. Somehow took the costume's power as well. In any case, it's a good thing the weapon had a reverse feature. I was very happy that Bizarro, the Thing of Steel, was so comics accurate, starting with the fact that 
The character of Bizarro first appeared in a Superboy comic as an imperfect duplicate of Superboy, with the adult Bizarro appearing later. For me too, the version of Bizarro I like best is the misunderstood monster who means no harm but just doesn't completely understand human interaction. He always reminds me of Frankenstein's monster in that respect. Kudos to actor Barry Meyer for a really good performance as Bizarro. It's always fun to see Bizarro take on a Clark Kent identity, and that really should have gotten Lana to start thinking about the Superboy-Clark connection. As I recall from Bizarro's first appearance in the comics, his eventual destruction had a very fortunate consequence, and I wonder if that will also play out in the next episode. I'll have to wait to find out. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. And, you know, I agree, Nightmare Island was serviceable. And uh, Dave's comment on uh, Superboy's costume, yeah, I can go with that, that it lost its indestructibility by uh, suggesting that the race that took his powers also sapped whatever the costume's power was. Yeah, I can go with that. It also changed it into the season one suit, which obviously the uh, producers didn't care what happened. You're going to see something similar in the episode uh, that I'm covering this week, the second half, where all of a sudden Bizarro is wearing a John Hames Newton costume. I don't know why, though. It didn't look really that ripped. But I really don't have anything to say uh, else to say about Nightmare Island. It was the kind of episode that it was, and there's not really much else to say about that. As far as uh, Bizarro the Thing of Steel, it was comics accurate. This is the bizarre, the version of Bizarro that I like best. I don't really like him as a villain. You know, D- Dave's comments really all spot on. And uh, as Dave recalls uh, from Bizarro's first appearance, his eventual destruction had a very fortunate consequence. That does not happen in this episode, at least, as Bizarro is not destroyed in the second part, as Dave found out the week later. And I know John Byrne took a bit of that Superboy story out of when it, when his with his first appearance at Bizarro back in. Uh, Man of Steel number five, I think it was. Yes, it was five, where uh, Superman and Bizarro collided and it restored uh, Lu- Lucy Lane's sight. Maybe it was something similar to that. I actually haven't read that first Bizarro story, so I don't know, but I think it's something similar to what Byrne did. And that what Byrne did was a nod to that. So thank you, Dave, for writing in. I have one more email that I want to get to, the short one. This is from Scott Brown. He's giving some feedback on Superboy Nightmare Island. And uh, Scott writes, Hi, Mike. First time emailing in. Well, welcome, Scott. Thanks for writing in. Just wanted to mention something goofy I noticed at the end of the episode, and I don't think you brought up in the in your episode. At the end of Nightmare Island, Andy and Lana don't seem very worried about how they're going to get off the island. Did I miss something? Aren't they just as stranded at the end of the episode as they were in the beginning? Superboy was back in Clark mode, so he, hadn't, so he didn't seem like he was going to fly Lana and Andy off the island. Anyway, I know there's tons of logical breakdowns in this show, so I guess this isn't any worse than the other ones. I'm still enjoying finally giving this series a shot. Take care, Scott. Uh, thank you, uh, Scott, for writing in. And welcome. I, I'm i glad to hear from you. And I didn't mention it. I guess I just kind of assumed that, uh, at the very least, that uh, Andy and Lana think Superboy told the Coast Guard where they were. And that the Coast Guard or, so, or somebody or the Harbor Patrol or, or whatever they got floating around down there would kind of would swing by the island and pick them up i really didn't i don't i didn't mention it i guess you know i didn't think much about it and i guess they maybe they didn't either being that i'd have to watch the episode again to see if he said anything to them maybe he mentioned that he's gonna go send someone for them but without going back to watch the episode i'm not sure but i'm guessing they just kind of assumed superboy was going to send help so i guess we'll just have to leave it at that yeah there's a ton of logical logical breakdowns in a lot of these shows so but I'm going to no prize it by saying that Superboy informed someone somehow. 
That's all I got. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. So thank you, Scott, for writing in. Uh, I don't know how long you've been listening, but welcome to the show regardless. If any of you guys want to join the conversation, man the screen at gmail.com. So now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about The Bride of Bizarro, part one. Hang around, folks. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? Your Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrett. Plain, simple, Garrett. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with The Bride of Bizarro, Part 1. This was the season premiere of Season 3. Original broadcast date was October 6, 1990. It was directed by David Grossman, written by Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer. And in addition to our main cast of Gerard Christopher as Clark Kent and Superboy, Stacey Heideck as uh, Lana Lang, and our two new characters, we have our guest cast of Barry Myers as Bizarro, Tracy Roberts as Darla, Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor, Wendy Lee as Judy James Donatello, Mike Zelli as Mike, Lee Audrey as Bizarro Darla, and Zevi Walmark as Christopher Grimes. Zevi Walmark is credited as Christopher Grimes through most of these next two seasons. I'm going to have to figure out who the hell that is. All right. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. A talk show airs over its new satellite system. When the host mentions bizarre relationships, Bizarro streaks down and breaks onto the set. You call Bizarro! No, 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 bizarre, bizarre relationships. That's what I said. That am what I want. A, a relationship? You, you want a relationship? Bizarre one, someone to love. Why? Lex, I know you told me to shut up, but look at this. What that a name talk show? Nobody loves. Hold the phone. That's Bizarro. You hold me. You want someone to love. Someone to love. <laughs> this guy is beautiful. Oh, you must be joking. I mean, who'd ever fall for this guy? It'd have to be as ugly as he is. You know, darling, you may not be as dumb as you look. But hopefully, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Clark is now interning at the Bureau of Extra Normal Matters in Capital City. 
He's trying to make an impression on his boss, Dennis Jackson. Come in. Come in! Uh, those articles on, um... Mr. Jackson? Mr. Jackson? My paycheck. I know it's here. Somewhere. Probably have a thousand dollars down here by now. Those articles on the Bigfoot sighting, I distributed them. You've been an intern here for what? Two weeks? Well, it's clear to me that you have mastered the fine art of copying. Now, the big question is, how are you at filing? Okay, I guess, but I was really hoping that later for that. Right now, what I need is for you to help me find a report on uh, cattle mutilations. This one? God's sake. How'd you find it? Archaeology's my minor at Houston. Mr. Jackson, your new intern is here. Kent, go get her, bring her in here. New intern, sir? Is there something wrong with the work I've been doing? Kent, would you look at this stuff? There is enough work here for a battalion of interns. It turns out that the intern is Lana. He's right in there. Good luck. Thanks, but I won't need any. Hey, Clark. <laughs> Surprised to see me? Well, yeah, but of all the places to take your internship, why the Bureau? Because of what you do here. Oh, you mean filing, copying, getting coffee? No way. I'm not doing any of that. See, this place has all the answers about UFOs, psychic phenomenon, monsters. I really And maybe it. even Superboy. Superboy. Yeah, who could be more extra normal than him? Wouldn't you like to know more about him? I would. So would I. As Clark takes her to Jackson's office, one of Clark's colleagues, Matt Ritter, receives a call about Bizarro crashing the talk show. He takes the television set at the Jackson's office, and everyone watches as Clark sneaks away. Bizarro continues to terrorize the talk show set. Superboy arrives and tries to talk him down to no avail. Bizarro, what are you doing here? Have someone to love. Everyone but Bizarro. Easy, Bizarro. Easy. Remember me? I'm your friend. Bizarro, have no friend. Somebody's gonna get hurt. Be hurt. They briefly fight and then Bizarro gets away. The phone lines are ringing off the hook at the bureau when Clark returns. Someone comes in and informs Jackson that the duplicator that created Bizarro was stolen from Schuster University. When Clark tries to leave again, Jackson forces him to man the phones. While Bizarro sits atop a building, a Bizarro pigeon finds him. Back in his lair, Luthor is rounding out a dozen Bizarro pigeons with the duplicator. Moments later, Bizarro arrives. Bizarro? Well, I see you must have caught up with one of my winged messengers. Pretty birds make me sad. Other birds, stay away from them. Why you make birds? To make Bizarro sad? No, 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 no. I made them so that I could find you, so that I could make you happy. You make Bizarro happy? If you make me happy. How me make you happy? It's simple. Kill Superboy. Why you want me kill Superboy? He do nothing to Bizarro? He do nothing to Bizarro. Have you looked at yourself lately? He made you look like that. 
No. Yes, he was jealous. He knew that an exact replica would be too much competition, so he made you look, well... Ugly? It's a strong word, but if you think it fits... Me, ugly. That way. Bizarro and lonely. All the awards, the testimonial dinners, he didn't want to share all that, and the women. Oh, he certainly didn't want to share the women. Superboy? You're as good as he is. You're better. You're gifted. You're unique. You see, most people have to work at it. But Superboy had everything just handed to him on a silver platter. Now you tell me what's most important. Good looks or character? But how killing Superboy could be someone to love? As soon as he's dead, I'm going to make someone just for you. See, you make me happy, I make you happy. You make Bizarro happy? Yes, yes. Now, there's just one small problem. You see, we're going to have to generate lots of energy. I mean, the machine can handle birds and flowers and things like that. But in order to make you a whole woman, we're talking about a major energy supply like, well, kryptonite which they just happen to have an ample supply of at the Schiff Military Research Institute. Now, I want you to force them to put it all inside this lead box. See, that'll protect you from the radiation. Me, not need. Kryptonite, not hurt Bizarro. Kryptonite, not hurt Bizarro? Wow. You know, I'm loving this guy more and more. <laughs> Back at the Bureau, Jackson and Matt are observing a Bizarro pigeon. That was brought in until Clark and Lana warned them about calls they'd received regarding them exploding. The pigeon begins to smoke and Clark throws it out the window just before it explodes. Clark pretends to be dazed by the blast and Jackson gives him the day off. Meanwhile, Bizarro breaks into the military facility and sets off the alarm, which triggers Clark's superhearing back at the Bureau. Bizarro takes several chunks of kryptonite into the sky. Superboy finds him and when he confronts him, the kryptonite weakens him, sending him falling to a rooftop below. Surrounded by kryptonite, Superboy tries to talk some sense into Bizarro about Luthor. Luthor, am right. You always try to keep me from being happy. Luthor? If me, go back to old jail without kryptonite. Luthor, not make white for Bizarro. Bizarro, no. He's trying to trick you. No! Luthor, help Bizarro. And now, me, help Luthor. He gathers the kryptonite, leaving a chunk with Superboy, and leaves him dying under the radiation. Superboy tries to crawl away from the rock. At Luthor's lair, Bizarro arrives with the kryptonite, announcing that Superboy is dead. As Superboy continues to try and get away from the kryptonite, back at his lair, Luthor makes a duplicate of, of Darla for Bizarro. Am she the one? Yes, Bizarro, she am. Allow me to introduce you to your... Blushing Bride. <laughs> no, 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 my dear. Let's not be shy. You'll make a charming couple, I'm sure. She hate me. She love you. No, no. She's just awestruck by your rugged good looks. You lied, Bizarro. You mock me. Mock? Bizarro, bang. This chick is hot for him. I can't believe it. She fell for you. Come on, we gotta get out of here before. No. Ah! 
She was unstable. Hey, I can fix that bizarro babe. For old times' sake, darling, he's gonna kill me. Lex, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Meanwhile, on the rooftop, Superboy pulls himself over the edge, falling to the ground below. He is surviving the fall. Uncertain. To be continued. Alright, so the uh the first thing of note is that season three brings us not only some new branding, but a new opening sequence. In the first two seasons, the show was only called Superboy. Now it is called The Adventures of Superboy. And uh, this is the opening sequence uh, that I'm uh, most familiar with from my time with the show, uh, with the opening narration and what you've heard at the beginning of the episode and kind of the pictures to go along with uh, the narration. Some of which are from season two, some of which are from this episode. And the next one. So... We start with a view of the city and a radio voiceover. At least I thought it was radio at first, but it's actually from the uh, television studio. This is the first time in the show that we've heard the name Capital City, and that cements uh, our setting. It is still in Florida, so... Anyway, this episode is starting with a talk show. It's based on the Sally Jesse Raphael show. The host is even made up to look like her. The host's name is actually a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle reference, if you ask me, as her name is Judy Donatello. The uh, host, uh, this show is based that she's based on, Sally Jesse Raphael. She also shares a name with, with a Ninja Turtle. So a neat little connection there. She's doing a show about bizarre relationships because that's what these shows did or do. I don't know. I haven't watched one of these in ages. So a red blur flies into the studio. That's bizarre. Even though uh, the show, one, doesn't give you the title card yet. So if you're watching this for the first time, you're thinking, why is Superboy flying to this TV studio? And the show, through the attack, doesn't reveal who the attacker is. It shows you the costume fighting through the studio, but you never see the character's face or his hand, so you don't see the uh, the pale skin of Bizarro as uh, he's kind of fighting his way to the studio. As this is going on, Darla and Alexa are watching the show, and Alexa is fiddling with his wig trying to think of new ideas to kill Superboy. But we eventually see Bizarro knock down the studio door, which is... To me, very reminiscent of uh, RoboCop when he breaks into the cocaine lab in the only film that matters, the 1987 one. So Bizarro is giving poor Judy a hard time. And again, because Bizarro misinterprets everything, he mistook her use of the word bizarre with regard to the relationships as if she was calling him. I don't know uh, what was bizarre about the relationships and the people that she was going to talk to. It's not important. I honestly could care less. But... For some reason, the, her, her six guests were in bizarre relationships. So feel free to use your imagination with that. So Lux finds it funny that Bizarro was looking for love, and uh, Darla makes a comment that anyone who loves him would have to be as ugly as he is, which apparently uh, Darla has the ability to give Lex a good idea from time to time. This is the first time in this uh, these two episodes that's going to happen that something Darla says is going to trigger an idea in Lex. I don't think it's something... That she's doing deliberately, it's just kind of the way Lex's mind works. You hear something and it trips up an idea. So, anyway, we uh, don't, we're not going to find out what that idea is just yet. So, here we are. This is our first view of the Bureau for Extra Normal Matters. Like I said in the opening, the show is no longer based on the Schuster University campus. And this is going to be our primary setting, our daily planet, so to speak. Here we got Clark and, uh, with bigger hair and, uh, 
suspenders, looking uh, more competent, and he's not as nerdy. I said several times that I thought season two version of Clark was a little unsure, a little too nerdy, a little too uh, golly gee whiz, and now we're playing Clark a little more mature. He's a young guy. He's not as much of a cartoon. You know, you're not going to see him shuffle out of uh, a place the way he did in Revenge of the Deep. So this is how I remember Gerard Christopher Clark. You know, not exceptional, but he doesn't stand out like Nerdy Clark does. My view of Clark Kent, and I don't remember who I heard say this, but Clark Kent is supposed to be the guy that when he comes in the room, you don't notice. But then when you eventually you notice that he's there, you realize that he was there the whole time. You know, a guy that doesn't stand out. You know, he's basically a fictioner and not remarkable. And that's kind of what I think Gerard Christopher Clark is going for in this season. Competent, not extraordinary. He's extraordinary to us because he's the main character. He's the lead character of the show. But he's not meant to be extraordinary to the people in-universe. So, however, because he is the, the show's main character, he probably has a little more contact with the boss than a normal intern would. I mean, he, eventually he, Lana's going to come in and he's going to make a comment that all he's doing is like filing reports and getting coffee. But we're going to see throughout the next few seasons that he's going to do a lot more than that. So I kind of like this kind of tweaking of Clark a little bit. So good there. Uh, moving on, uh, Clark is an intern. Now we're going to meet, meet Jackson, who seems a little bit befuddled. Can't find anything in his office, especially his paycheck. Maybe he should get direct deposit. Then you don't have to worry about these things. He can't find the report, and uh, Clark finds it with his X-ray vision. So, there's a new intern coming in, and Clark gets uh, self-conscious about it. Kind of wondering if he's on his way out. But so, like I mentioned, Clark is a little more competent, but he's still not as confident as you, as you would think he would be. Still has some self-doubt. Self-conscious about his work all of a sudden because, wait a minute, if... Uh, if this intern, new intern is coming in, am I on my way out? And uh, Jackson assures uh, Clark that there's enough work for uh, a battalion of interns. Basically, uh, free labor. So here's Lana with a new hairdo, shorter hair, and uh, she's going to uh, intern at the Bureau because this is a great place to learn about Superboy. Uh, Clark does, tells her that his uh, internship is basically filing and getting coffee, and uh, Lana declared that she's going to do a lot more than that, and... Uh, yeah, well, Jackson pretty much shoots her down immediately. She comes out pretty strong to the boss, and uh, Jackson gives her the whole, uh, you're an intern, uh, not an agent. And uh, when Lana came in, she was talking to uh, Matt Ritter. That is our uh, first exposure to Matt. He's getting a call about uh, what happened at the Judy show, and he marches into Jackson's office with a TV under his shoulder complaining about the cable hookup. You know, the Bureau has every high-tech gadget you could want, except a lousy cable connection. If you'd open your eyes. I don't know why they felt the need for that or why he needed to come in making that kind of impression with a t holding a TV. But they hook up the uh, TV to uh, to the fixture in uh, Jackson's office. And I believe this is going to become something that's used quite a bit with uh, the TV set in uh, Jackson's office where they all kind of huddle around it and uh, watch something. So. They uh, see Bizarro on TV, and uh, Clark is off to change the Superboy and uh, confront Bizarro. We don't get a shirt rip, but we get uh, more of a... He's behind some shelves, and he changes as he walks through. So here is our first look at the uh, Season 3 Superboy. Suit seems a little bit different. Cape is tucked into the shirt and not attached on the outside. To me, that works a lot better. 
the uh, suit doesn't look like it's as tight as it was in the second season. And uh, Gerard Christopher appears to be a little thinner. He doesn't seem to fill out the suit the way he did in season two, but still looks great as Superboy. So now we learned that the duplicator is gone from Schuster. Why I didn't figure out that it was Lex right off the bat, I don't know, but there it is. Now, one of the problems with Clark being an intern here is that it's uh, difficult to get away and change the Superboy as he has to work the phone to get reports on Bizarro. I don't recall that being a thing that really becomes a problem, but it's a problem here. So maybe it's just kind of the kind of thing where they're trying to establish Jackson a little bit and and this is how they're deciding to do it. But I don't really recall Clark having trouble getting away throughout the next two seasons. He pretty much does it at will. So uh, Bizarro is sitting on a roof and uh, he uh, sees a pigeon. It's a, and it's a Bizarro pigeon. So apparently uh, Lex is uh, with, there with a duplicator ray and uh, that he stole from Schuster and he's making Bizarro pigeons. He uh, seems to need 12. I don't know why 12. Maybe because he wants to make an even dozen. I don't know. But they do serve their purpose. Now, here's our... Uh, I'm going to comment on Darla a little bit. She's got some uh, big hair this season. As I recall, her hair was a little uh, was down, a little flatter, uh, maybe a little bit longer in season two. Now she's got some big 80s hair, and uh, she's going backwards as opposed to into the 90s. And uh, the pigeons uh, have worked as because they're Bizarro homing pigeons, and they've led Bizarro to Lex. And uh, Bizarro was already in a bad mood because he was sitting up on his rooftop. He was looking through some magazines, and he saw some ads that were highlighting friendship and romance and you know it underscores how lonely bizarro is if you remember from the battle with bizarro about 10 or so weeks ago all he was trying to do was make friends and he failed at every turn because people were scared of him because of his appearance and because he doesn't quite understand human interaction and he had to leave earth because he couldn't exist here i don't know where he went since then let's assume a year has passed in showtime so why has he come back? Is it because he intercepted the uh, TV signal that said Bizarre and came back? The show doesn't really tell us why Bizarro chose to come back now, but he did. So anyway, Lex is going to make a deal with Bizarro. If he kills Superboy and makes Lex happy, Lex will make Bizarro happy. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work out too well for Bizarro, do you? Well, anyway, Lex is manipulating Bizarro very easily, saying Superboy was jealous of him, and that's why he made Bizarro ugly. Obviously, because of his... Lack of intelligence, Bizarro is easy to manipulate, and Lex knows that, and Lex is taking full advantage. Again, Bizarro's not evil. He's childlike. He's almost a, he doesn't understand that it's easy to manipulate. And Lex, ever the opportunist, will exploit that, as he will anything. So, first order of business. He sends Bizarro to the military base to get some get kryptonite. And I'm wondering if this is how Luthor gets his seemingly endless supply of kryptonite throughout the the rest of this series. If there is one complaint about this show, and we started it to see it a little bit in season two, is that it goes to the kryptonite well far, far too often. I mean, I mean, yeah, you got to have it every time you bring Metallo on because he's powered by kryptonite. But anytime Lex Luthor shows up, he's whipping kryptonite out of his pocket. And that's going to start here, I'm guessing. So they have one of those bizarro pitches at the bureau. Lana gets a call about exploding pigeons and, uh, the synopsis says the pigeon on the uh, table at the bureau began to smoke, but uh, I didn't notice that. But I did notice Clark just kind of throw it out the window where it explodes, and then Clark pretends uh, to faint. And I really like this exchange here because, you know, Clark has been an intern at the bureau for about two weeks now, so 
They know him a little bit. You know, maybe not long enough to know him real well, but at the very least, Matt knows him. You know, kind of a guy who's meek, who's not going to roll up his sleeve to get into something. And here he is throwing an exploding bird out the window, and he makes a comment that, oh, I didn't think I had that, didn't you? And I just love Clark's response. You know, Clark has to kind of catch himself. He has to recover. And that's why he fakes the faint. He says, oh, I usually don't. So that was good. I like that. And uh, now Clark and Lana have to uh, get Jackson and Matt up to speed on the season two Bizarro episodes, telling them why he has to exploded, you know, about Bizarro kryptonite and basically everything that happened the last time they saw Bizarro because they weren't on the show at the time. They're not going to uh, Wrath of Khan it and uh, just uh, retcon in the fact that the Bureau was always there in the background or something. Since uh, they weren't part of that episode, Lana and uh, Clark fill them in on what they missed. It's not like it's Star Trek 2 where uh, all of a sudden we find out, oh yeah, Chekhov was there during Spacey the whole time. Anyway, now we're going to get another fight, this time at a military base as Bizarro is getting the kryptonite and that's when the base's alarm goes off. Clark reacts to it and uh, thanks to his uh, antics with the pigeon and his reaction to hearing the alarm, he gets two days off. So a few minutes ago, Jackson was yelling at Clark to get back on the phones. Now he's getting two days off, which is actually very helpful because that'll cover Clark's absences so he can become a Superboy. So, just this one time at least, Clark doesn't have to account for his whereabouts. Now, again, I want to comment that the flying effects continue to look good in this season. You know, I'm guessing he's flying up against a green screen or maybe some kind of rear projection, but looks good. The wires are... It looks like he's flying. Lower budget, but it looks just as good as what Christopher Reeve did. This show doesn't cheat that much. It doesn't cheat the way Lois and Clark will. And although I will comment here that uh, Superboy is flying after Bizarro, who's got an armful of kryptonite. You know, maybe he should have uh, maybe attacked from a distance instead of trying to take Bizarro down while he's holding all that kryptonite. Because all that all that ends up happening is that he just kind of falls to the ground and Superboy falls to the ground in a shot of him surrounded by kryptonite. That is what we see in the opening sequence. One of the shots we see. So Bizarro leaves Superboy dying on a rooftop and it takes Superboy an awful long time to come to the kryptonite well you know of course we know he doesn't but uh apparently uh, we're gonna find out here that lex doesn't know about the unstable nature of the bizarro duplicates and doesn't know that it can be fixed with uh bizarro kryptonite so bizarro reports in that superboy is dead and lex wants to uh see the body understandably so you know he knows the rules uh, no one's dead until you see their body and so in order to give him a wife lex duplicates darla <laughs> and this doesn't really go as uh well as i would have liked and i like uh that they're intercutting all this stuff with bizarro and uh, lex with uh superboy who's showing the uh, wherewithal to uh crawl away uh the drama is uh the question of whether he'll be able to do it fast enough so now we got a bizarro darla who as soon as she sees B- bizarro screams in fear and that was enough bizarro turned on lex immediately because again bizarro feels no nuance he feels and extremes and he thinks Lex tricked him and he gets even angrier when the Bizarro Darla exploded and honestly I thought Bizarro was going to kill him right here but obviously I knew he wasn't going to Lex survived through the duration of the show but Lex is screaming and as Superboy attempts to throw himself off a building in an attempt to save himself but it looks as though he's about to fall onto people on the ground so good first half of an episode and a good season opener introduce us to the new setting and the new players I mentioned before, I like the idea of the show introducing 
two new characters, and you know, just a good start to season three, which I'm pretty sure is gonna end up being my favorite season of the show. Season four is good as well, but season three is when the show really hits its stride. So I'm gonna take another break, play another promo. When I come back, I guess we'll do the Bride of Bizarro part two. How about that? Hang around, folks. Hey, everybody, I'm Paul Spataro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books... We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at 2TrueFreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this off with The Bride of Bizarro, Part 2. This is Episode 2 of Season 3. Original broadcast date was October 13th, 1990. Written by Mike Carlin and Andy Helfer. Guest cast include Barry Myers as Pizarro, Tracy Roberts as Darla, Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor, D. Christian Gottschall as Artie, Bruce Hamilton as the reporter, Shauna Lynn as Pizarro Lana, Eric Whitmore as the bartender, Bill Orsini as the man, and Levi Womark as Christopher Grimes. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Superboy plummets to the ground below and regains his powers just in time. He flies to Luthor's lair where Bizarro is about to kill him. When Superboy stops Bizarro, they fight. Luthor stands by to see the fight, but Darla convinces him to leave. Look, if Bizarro wins, you're going to get killed. If Superboy wins, we're going back to jail. Now let's go! Maybe they'll kill each other. Once the fight is over, Superboy asks for Bizarro's help, but he leaves. As Luthor and Darla walk through the tunnels, and listen. Except for the whole instability problem. That's easy. I can fix that. But why did Bizarro Darla fall for me instead of him? Well, I did. Because you're just an irresistible kind of guy. You are just so slow. Wait a minute. That's it. (laughs) That's it! What? What'd I say? All I have to do is create a bizarro bride out of someone who loves Superboy. Come on, babe. We're back in business. Genius. The man's a genius. Lana. Clark arrives back at the bureau where calls come in regarding bizarro sighting. Jackson's irritated that Clark didn't take the day off like he told him to. Later, Clark and Matt are having lunch at a restaurant as a news report details incidents of, of exploding bizarro flowers. Then Luthor interrupts the newscast and to send a message to Superboy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Lex Luthor here. So sorry for the interruption, but I thought you might like to know who's responsible for all of these lovely floral arrangements. (laughs) The bad news is these are just the first of many such surprises. Observe, if you please. With this nifty little device, I can duplicate absolutely anything. Flowers birds, why even a child's baby doll. It drinks, it wets, it cries, it blinks its eyes. It's is not at all 
what it appears to be. It's a combustible simulation, and here's the really scary part. Tonight at midnight, I'm going to aim my deadly duplicator ray at a communication satellite right into the homes of all you late-night TV viewers. At last, a long-lost twin to call my very own. For a while, at least. And then... But I'm a reasonable guy, and I'm perfectly willing to call this whole thing off just as soon as Superboy surrenders to me. If he can find me. <laughs> so, there you have it, Superboy. Your life in exchange for all those hundreds of thousands of lives out there in TV land. You decide. Meanwhile, Lana is parked outside in her Jeep. Listening to the broadcast, one likes kidnaps her. Everyone leaves the restaurant in preparation for Luthor's threat. While Luthor and Darla take Lana to their hideout later that night, Superboy finds Bizarro and tries to get his help once again. You're a hard man to find, Bizarro. What? You want? I need your help. Kryptonite doesn't affect you, and I... Why I help you? Why I help anyone? Look, I know what you're going through. You not know. Yes, I do. Don't you think I have the same thoughts? Wishing I were normal? But I'm not. We're not. Why, you say, we the same? Because we are. No one else can understand what it's like when you shake a person's hand and you watch them cringe because they're afraid you'll crush it. <sighs> Me, not stupid. Me, see a difference. That why people hate Pizarro. That why. Bizarro, hate them. No. We have a gift, both of us. And we have to use it to help them. Even if they don't understand us. All they want is love. Don't you think I want it too? But the truth is, neither one of us may ever get it. But we can't just walk away. Bizarro can. Don't leave me. Hello. People in the city have thrown away their televisions to avoid Luthor's attack, while Superboy searches the city to find Luthor. Bizarro arrives at Luthor's lair and is manipulated by him once again. Bizarro! Welcome. Bizarro! Kill you now! Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. You're gonna kill the only man who can make your dreams come true. You try! Trick Bizarro! Again! But, 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 but... If you kill me, you'll never know. You don't want to take that chance. Trust me. While Superboy continues his search, he sees the duplicator ray shoot past him toward the satellite. He follows the ray into space and blows the satellite out of the way before the ray strikes it. Superboy arrives at Luthor's lair and out walks Bizarro, holding a piece of kryptonite. Superboy falls to the ground in pain. A Bizarro duplicate of Lana walks out but doesn't explode. No explosion, thanks to the miracle of bizarro kryptonite. Superboy. Lana. Where do you think you're going? Bizarro, no. He's trying to trick you again. No tricks. 
This is payment in full. One everlasting mate made to order, and she's all yours. Now, it's time for you to fulfill your half of the bargain. Bizarro, don't do it. Me, I'm sorry, but me, make deal. Bizarro, stop! You're not a killer. Kill him. Lana, I'm right. If you am killer, like Luther, me, no love you. Who do I have to get for this guy, Squeaky Fromm? Bizarro, baby, what do you think you're doing? We had a deal! Even if me can't keep her, me want her to love Bizarro. Luthor and Darla run, and an army of Bizarro Luthors walk out as part of a diversion. They forgot to treat them with Bizarro kryptonite, and they begin to smoke. The explosions obliterate the place, leaving nothing but rubble. Superboy and Bizarro emerge from the debris. Bizarro, I'm sorry. Luthor! Confuse me. I know. Alex? He didn't come out. I can't say for sure. He was evil man. But Luther do one good thing. He made Bizarro happy at last. All right, so this is the conclusion of the Bride of Bizarro story, obviously. And it starts off exactly where part one leaves off, with Superboy falling off the roof. And and he regains his powers immediately before landing on these uh, poor people on the ground. And he regains his flight and flies off. And the scene of him flying over this little outdoor dining area is also in the opening credits. So meanwhile, Bizarro is still rightly pissed at Lex and is about to kill him, still, when Superboy shows up, and despite everything, Superboy will still try to save Lex's life because that's what he does. He will save the life of his enemy because it's a life to be saved. And eventually Superboy does talk him down, and this puts Lex into pretty much a no-win situation as we do end up in a situation where Bizarro and Superboy are going to fight each other. Of course, Bizarro was taking Superboy, trying to convince him not to kill Lex, the wrong way. So, but Lex has one way out here, and that's them killing each other. Because Darla points out, and rightly slow, she's the only one thinking. And not with Ego is, if Superboy wins, and Lex is still there, Lex is going to jail. Probably back to, to the electric chair. If Bizarro wins, Lex is dead. <laughs> and... Like, like Lex said, he's only out as if they kill each other. And that's what he's hoping for. But Darla gets him to see reason and yanks him out of there. And now we get a small fight from uh, between Superboy and Bizarro. It's a, it's a decent fight. 
you know, they kind of throw each other around a little bit. And uh, Superboy, you know, saved Lex's life. And he saved Bizarro from being a murderer. There is no telling how Bizarro would have taken being a murderer. He doesn't want to be evil. But he probably wouldn't be able to process what he'd done the way an adult would. You know, so he, I guess he'd feel guilty and probably do something foolish. So while uh, this is going on, uh, Luthor and Darla make off with the duplicator, lamenting his failure, and uh, he has a brainstorm, thanks to something that Darla says. He has to duplicate someone who loves Superboy. Remember, remember the Bizarro Darla from the first part freaked out when it's saw Bizarro. But what would a Bizarro want to do? Probably not freak out. So, back at the Bureau, I guess this is the next day. Clark is getting yelled at by Jackson for not taking the day off, and uh, he drops the news that Luthor has the ray. I'm not sure what the Bureau can do about that. I mean, they're not a law enforcement agency. They're, it's unclear. I don't think the show makes it any clear what exactly the Bureau can do. I mean, I imagine they can investigate things, paranormal things, but I don't know if they have any, they can investigate and try to find out what things are. I don't think they have any kind of law enforcement ability. So I'm not sure what good that news that Luther has to Ray really does the Bureau of Extra Normal Matters, but whatever. Maybe they have inroads to law enforcement. I don't know. This show is the only place we ever hear about this uh, Bureau of Extra Normal Matters. Uh, the only thing remotely close is the DEO at DC Comics, the Department for Extra Normal Operations, and that's more of a paramilitary unit. Maybe it's just a Bureau with teeth. So anyway... Lex Luthor cuts into this news broadcast while, uh, while Matt and Clark are having lunch, showing the duplicate array and its explosive power, well, the explosive power of the duplicates, and he's going to duplicate a communication satellite. And I'm not sure what this is intending to do. What would happen if he duplicates this satellite? Then what? The uh, synopsis is something about broadcasting into TVs and turning people into bizarros, but how would that work? Would it explode and... Would it make everybody's TV explode? Would it turn people into bizarros and make them explode? He's calling out Superboy to surrender to him to stop this. I don't get what this plot is going to do. Because whatever signal, and I'm probably thinking too much about this, whatever signal the satellite is receiving, the original satellite is going to receive it. Basically, it turns out what the radio report is going to do is it's a distraction for him to grab Lana. And, uh... Lex and Darla are like the king and queen of costumes here, as they're dressed as cops. I mean, Lana looks like an ordinary uh, 1990 cop, and uh, Luthor looks something that walked out of the 1890s. But anyway, there's that, and I'm guessing their plan is to duplicate Lana. And But meanwhile, during this is going on, people are throwing away televisions. I just don't get it. What they think is going to happen here? I mean, even if the satellite is not a TV satellite, and it's just a big mirror that's going to reflect the duplicate array, Throwing out your TV is not going to help, but it doesn't even matter because eventually Superboy is just going to blow the satellite out of the way and in space, by the way. He's going to use his super breath in space and uh, blow it away. Physics problem there, but anyway. So now Superboy is going to find Bizarro and ask him for help, but Bizarro is still angry. Again, Superboy is trying to bond with Superboy over what's going to be different, but people's fear has driven Bizarro to hate and the manipulation by Lex Luthor has driven Bizarro to hatred. Bizarro wants love and to be loved. And, you know, Superboy does too, but he seems almost resigned to the fact that he may never get it. And maybe at this point he's at peace with that. But Bizarro is not. It almost makes sense, because if Superboy 
Being that Bizarro is an opposite, if Superboy's at peace, Bizarro not being perfect symmetry between the two characters. So, as Superboy leaves, Bizarro spies a Bizarro pigeon, it explodes, and that makes him scream out Luthor's name. Because all of a sudden he remembered that he's still pissed at Luthor. So now Bizarro finds Lex and Bizarro wants to kill him. Lex wants to duplicate Lana now, but he still hasn't solved the exploding problem. He apparently still does not have Bizarro Kryptonite. I wonder what he's waiting for. So now Lex uh, fires the uh, duplicator ray into space. And the image of the ray going into space is the image from the opening credits where the narrator says uh, the speed of light. And I already mentioned the uh, physics problem when Superboy doesn't outrace the duplicator ray and blows the satellite out of the way. So now the ray is smoking and Superboy has undoubtedly traced it back to its source. And now he's met up with Luthor and Darla. So Superboy shows up and Bizarro is holding the kryptonite and he's going to kill Superboy. And they're still going to argue over Luthor's virtues, even as Superboy lays dying to Green Kryptonite. And apparently, uh, in the interim, Lex has made the uh, Bizarro Lana and solved the explosion problem by creating Bizarro Kryptonite. The only way I can assume that Lex even knew about Bizarro Kryptonite is if Lana told him. And being that Lana is now there, that is a definite possibility. Because no one else did that I saw. And there's probably nowhere for him to learn about that other than Lana. So now Lana is going to appeal to the uh, better angels of Bizarro's nature, but in an interesting twist, it's Bizarro Lana that tells him not to kill Superboy, saying she won't love him if he kills Superboy. So these characters are not exactly the opposites that we're used to seeing Bizarro. She has similar morals to Lana, and she actually seems a little bit more put together than uh, Bizarro is, at least mentally. So now Lex is in trouble. He's pissed. He has a contingency plan to cover his escape, though, and... While I didn't remember the details, I must have seen this episode during first run because I remember Bizarro Lana and I remember, you know, kind of Superboy and uh, Bizarro standing chest to chest there to uh, to fight the Bizarro Lexus, which they didn't actually have to do as uh, apparently uh, either Lex or Darler forgot to uh, treat the, Le- the Bizarro Lexus with a Bizarro Kryptonite and they all blow up. So just like the first time around with Bizarro, the episode ends with apologies. Bizarro apologizing to Superboy, saying that he was manipulated by Luthor and uh, that Luthor confused him. And it's interesting that in the last shot, as they crawl out from the debris after the explosions, Bizarro is wearing a Newton costume from season one for some reason. I don't know why. It didn't look ripped, but I don't know. But Bizarro is happy at last as he and Bizarro Lana fly away. And everyone is happy as well. Well, the only person not really happy at the moment is Superboy because Lex got away. He thinks maybe they're dead, but Lex has gotten away, and I believe we'll see him again in The Road Not Taken in a couple of weeks. Till then, next time, season episodes three and four of the season, The Lair and Neela. Till then, feedback's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed, and the show should come up. You can find the show on Twitter at Man Screencast. Until first time, folks, we am not all on the same team. Bad morning. The Man Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. 
and you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.